like we should. Title of the message this morning is Run in Such a Way. Run in Such a Way. If you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If I could ask you this morning, what is your passion in life? What is your passion? What is it that you look for? What are you willing to do to see your passion complete? Would you be willing to work longer hours? Would you be willing to be discomforted for a period of time? Would you be willing to suffer pain to see your passion fulfilled? And it's an amazing thing that when we give our life to Christ, when we say, God, you can have total control of my life, it's amazing how God blends His passion with our passion. And we begin to go the direction that God has for us to go when we're walking in obedience. I think as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you see a little bit of a glimpse of what Paul's passion is. I want to read beginning with verse 23, but I'm going to concentrate on verses 24 and following. Or verse 19, excuse me. So that though I am free man, I'm not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without that law, while like one without the law, not being without God's law, but within Christ's law, to win those without the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may be maybe by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so I may become a partner in its benefits. And he goes on to say in Romans chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It's very clear as you look at this passage here in these first few verses, that Paul's passion is to win souls. He wants to see people saved. He wants to go out and about and he wants to give his life in such a way that he can connect with people and see them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think his his passion is very clear. But as you look at verses 24 through 27, Paul uses the analogy of a race to both encourage and exemplify his discipline and his passion to carry out God's will. As we think about our passion this morning, I wonder if our passion is God's passion. I wonder if we have not, in some small way, or maybe even a huge way, given into what the passions of the world are, and no longer God's passion is kind of a lesser thing in our life. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we need to get things back in priority. We need to get things back in line, so that we can truly say that as we surrendered our life to Christ, as we've given our life to God, Our passion is His passion. And it's amazing as Jesus Christ sent out the disciples, as He sent them out two by two, what were they sent out to do? Hey, have a great time. Let me know how it goes and come back. I'll see you. I'll visit you. You Take lots of pictures and we'll talk when you get back. No. They were sent out to share the Gospel and appoint others back to Jesus Christ. They were sent out to win the lost world to a a loving and heavenly Father. Now I wonder if we don't get distracted in that in our day and age. What are we really here for? What is it that we live for? What is it that we are giving our time, our talents, our treasures to, if not to God? 
I want to challenge all of us this morning. I've been challenged these last several weeks as I've said, I want to do more. And I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm just standing here as a human being, as a flesh-filled person who's been saved by God's grace, who struggles with obedience like everyone else. And unless you say you're the pastor, yeah, you struggle too. We need to be obedient. And it's real easy to justify, rationalize, and excuse why we don't do it. It's really, really easy. I'm good at making excuses, and so are you. But the bottom line is, I wonder how often it's getting done. I want to call us all back to getting involved and doing what God has called us to do. Before we really dive into this this morning, let's take a moment to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much once again for this opportunity to look at your word. And I pray, God, that you would challenge our hearts, but not only challenge us, change us. And I pray, God, that you would help us to remove the excuses, help us to remove, Lord, the rationalization and the justification as to why we don't do what we should. But help us to run in such a way. Lord, help us to run in such a way that it would point others to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at these verses, Paul uses this analogy of the race both to encourage and exemplify his discipline, his passion to carry out God's will. But first of all, Paul encourages everyone everywhere to get involved in the race. We see that as we begin reading in point four. It says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium will all race, but only one receives a prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade away. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself would not be disqualified. First of all, he encourages everyone everywhere to get involved in the race. And God never intended you to be a spectator. He wants you to be a participant. And all over God's Word, it's very clear that this is God's intention for mankind. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says, For we are His what? His creation, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. God had it in, our, in His mind and in His heart, within His will, that every one of us who give our, gives our life to Christ to do something for His glory to do something that would bring others to Christ, to do something that would impact our walk with the Lord for eternity. And I think we're all good at justifying why we don't. As we look at God's Word, it's clear. We're His creation. In other words, we belong to Him, and as His being, He created us for a purpose. And the purpose is to be involved in His work. In James chapter 2, I'm not going to take the time to go there this morning. We're all very familiar with it. But the phrase that's, that just jumps off the pages from, from James 2 is what? Faith without works is what? Dead. In other words, God's Word makes it very clear that you're saved for a purpose. And the purpose includes serving Jesus Christ. That's a full-time job. It's not something that we do just for a while and then we retire. It's not something that we do just for a period of time and then we say, well, someone else take over. Serving Jesus Christ is something that happens for a lifetime. It never stops. 
So first of all, faith without works is dead. Our works do not save us. We're clear on that, right? Ephesians 2, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of works, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. But when we truly know Jesus Christ, we will want to serve Him. You say, well, what's the big deal about service? Why do I have to serve? Because that's God's design. That's God's design. And He wants us to be involved in His work. Second of all, Paul exemplifies his discipline in his efforts to win the race. And you see this very clearly in this passage. Verse 25 says, Now everyone who... I'm sorry, the end of verse 24, he says, Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control. He says, look, the, the bottom line is, the, the decision is made. He says, I'm going to exemplify what it means to run this race. It's very clear in the passage. You know, the Greeks were very familiar with the idea of racing in special games. There were four main events every year within the Greek culture that they participated in. Two of them are uh, very familiar with them, the Olympics and the Isthmian Games. In fact, the contest included horse, foot, and chariot racing, wrestling, boxing, musical and poetical trials, uh, and later, fights of animals. There were all kinds of events, all kinds of competitions that would take place, but especially in the Olympics and the Isthmian Games, these were the two main ones that took place every year that everyone would be involved with. Huge crowds would gather to watch the competition. And history would tell us this, that only free men could participate, and also each participant had to show proof that he had trained for the competition for at least ten months prior to the competition. And once the competition was over, once a champion was crowned, the champion would return to his hometown as a hero. He would enter his hometown not through the gates of the city, but history would tell us through a hole that was knocked in the sides of the walls of the city, signifying that no wall could stop him. He was a hero. And this was a tradition that highly honored the champion. Let's draw the parallels here. First of all, before we get any further in how he encouraged, first of all, only free men could participate. In other words, if they were in jail, if they were in prison, if they were guilty of some sort of crime, they were not allowed to participate in the events or the games. Only free men could participate. But it's amazing that there's a parallel to this in Scripture. In John chapter 8, verse 32, says that, And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He goes on to say, We are descendants of Abraham. They answered him, And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? And Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Slave does not remain, a slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really, really will be free. Bottom line is, when God gave you freedom, He gave you a freedom to begin serving Him. He gave you a freedom to start living for God. He gave you a freedom to turn away from sin. He gave you a freedom to have a new course in life and a freedom to do whatever God, whatever God lays on your heart to do for His glory. A free man can participate. We've been made free by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. We are free to serve. 
Not only that, participants had to show proof of training. And I think about this as we, as we think about how it relates to our walk with Jesus Christ. We need training. We'd be crazy to enter any type of competition without training. As I think about the couple of men that I know that have, that have actually made it to the Olympics, I have two friends who, went, who, who both wrestled in the Pan American World Games and also in the 1972 and 76 Olympics in wrestling. That is a lifetime of training. It's not like you can go, well, you know, I think I'll go trial for the Olympics next week. At 20-some years old. These guys start at three and four years old. And they train and train and train and train. I mean, year after year after year after year. And they bring their bodies into such control that they say no to this and yes to this and absolutely not to that and more of this. And, and their bodies are trained and they're peaked for competition. A lifetime, not only 10 months, but a lifetime of service. And it's amazing to think that as much as they could accomplish in the Pan American Games and the World Olympics, both of them won silver in the Pan American Games in wrestling. One of them won a silver and one of them won a gold in, in the Olympics in wrestling. But you know, those things only last for a short period of time. Today, they're both wrestling coaches uh, at a military school, I think down in Georgia. Two brothers, they're two twins, and uh, the Hayeswinkle brothers, they're phenomenal wrestlers. But you know, they can't wrestle today like they did 30 years ago. It doesn't last. All that training for a small segment of their life. Maybe you've known people who have trained for the Olympics. And it's a lifetime of training for a short period of time. And I wonder, as I think about this, we are training for a lifetime of service, not just for a segment. Because our goals are never met. Our job is never finished. Would you agree with that? As a believer, we never get to a point where we say, well, I did it, I'm done. You know, I, I, I led someone to the Lord, so I guess I, I don't have to do it anymore. You know, I, I learned these five verses, so I'm good for life. I went to church for four years, now I'm good for the rest of it. No. Right? What we give our life to is a lifetime commitment and a lifetime of service. So what would our training look like? What would our training look like so that we could be adequately prepared for what God has for us? Two verses came to my mind. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. We're to be diligent. Is that a one-time deal? No, it's a daily deal. We're to be diligent to God's Word. And in 1 Peter 3.15 it says, But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for you a reason for the hope that is in you. That's being prepared. That's the training that we go through so that we can adequately serve our Lord Jesus Christ for a lifetime. But Paul encouraged the Corinthians in several areas. First of all, he said, Run in such a way. Run in such a way. And the verse that comes to my mind here is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. In other words, you're doing your best. We're doing our best for the Lord. 
We live in a culture where we want everything right now. Right? That's why we have fast food restaurants, because we don't want to take the time. It's quicker just to run through the drive-thru. That's why we have microwaves, because we can just heat it up rather than firing up the stove and, and the oven and heating the house. I mean, we have instant rice versus long life. You know, versus what? You know, 20-minute rice? I don't know. You know, instant potatoes versus, you know, boiling potatoes. Everything that we're, we're accustomed to is hurry up. We're in a hurry. Got to get this done. Got to get here. Got to get there. Got 10 million things to do. We're, in, we're used to giving or getting shortcuts and having everything at our disposal in a moment. But I wonder when it comes to our relationship with God and our service for Him, if once again it's like putting leftovers in the microwave and heating them up. Well, God, I have these three minutes, and if you want to do something in these three minutes, I'm okay with that, but you know, I really have all these other things to do, God. I know you understand because you know, you're a busy God and I'm a busy man, so you, know, you, you get it. We give God leftovers. I wonder when's the last time that we really truly took the time to read our Bibles. And we say, God, speak. Or we pray. We say, God, I need you to work. Because I don't know about you, but I get busy. And I know you get busy. And we give God the leftovers. That's hardly training for a lifetime of service. He says, do all to the glory of God. In other words, do your best. That's my excuse for wanting to win games. God says, do all to the glory of God. i got to do my best. got to win. But when it comes to our service, well, I'm busy. i got this to do, and, and my feet hurt. I can't go there. I can't do this. Folks, we got to get back to serving. We have to get back to serving. And giving God what is rightfully His, our service, which includes our worship, a lifestyle of worshiping God, which includes serving Him. Take your Bibles and turn to Second Timothy chapter four, if you would. Second Timothy chapter four. Paul says, as Paul encouraged the Corinthians in these areas, he said, "Run in such a way, run in such a way to win." In 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8, it says, For I am, all, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. It's not for naught. There's a reason why we go forward. There's a reward that's awaiting for faithfulness. The crown. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 kind of brings it into perspective as well. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of, cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that, that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of even a little bit shocked when I see on TV the folks that race in the marathons. Um, a little bit shocked because they have un, 
uncanny ability to, ne- to never stop. I mean, I, I think I could safely say that if I went a mile, I'd be gasping for oxygen, and that's my own fault. Yeah, and you would be too. Um, but the bottom line is, they can run. And they run like the wind. But one thing stands out to me. They run with hardly anything on. You know what I notice is that they don't put the heaviest pair of shorts that they can find on. They don't even wear big baggy t-shirts. I mean, most people go running in shorts and t-shirts. Not these guys. The shoes don't weigh anything. The shorts don't weigh weigh anything. They're, 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 you know, I call them muscle shirts. I don't know what you call them. Tanks. I don't know what you call them. They don't weigh nothing. They wear almost nothing because they want nothing to hinder them. They don't put ankle weights on when they race. In training they do, but when it comes time for the race, the ankle weights come off. And all the thing that, anything that would hinder them is off. And I think when it relates to us in the Christian life, we're to lay aside every sin that would hinder us from running the race that God has for us. What hinders us from being involved in the race that the Lord has for us? Is it selfishness? We're to lay it aside. Is it our misplaced priorities? We're to lay them aside. Is it fill in the blank? Whatever it is, we're to lay aside every weight and the sin that that besets us from doing what God has for us to do. We're really good at saying, well, I can't do it because of this, or I can't do it because of that. But what is it really? One thing we learned when I went to a conference a long time ago, and Mike and Betty were reminded of this here as they went, the problem is really never the problem. When we perceive a problem, it's really never really the problem. There's always something deeper. And, you know, we say that we don't have time, but really the problem is deeper. It comes down to a heart issue. When we say we really don't have money... Well, the real issue issue is not the money because we really spend our money over here and we really enjoy spending money over here because God's Word says that where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be also. So the real issue is not the the heart, or is not the money, it's the heart. The problem is really never the problem. The real issue is usually something deeper. And the real issue is usually their heart. Where's our heart? Where's our heart when it comes to serving God? Where's our heart when it comes to doing what God asks us to do? Where's our heart when it comes to being what God has asked us to be? Are we willing to lay aside all the weights of sin that so easily beset us? So Paul says, run in such a way. And then he says, those who compete for the prize must practice self-control in everything. Those who train for the Olympics, they have a deep commitment to what they're doing. Those who prepare for the, the, the Pan American Games and the World Cup and whatever is the, on the international level, whether it be skiing or whatever it may be, they train in such a way they control their diet, their exercise, their, their, their emotions, their mental stability, the training. The goal is always before them. The desire and possibility to attain the goal is always right there in front of them. And nothing distracts them from that goal. We have friends in New Palestine, Indiana, who they want their kids to be in the Olympics someday in wrestling. At this tall, he's a phenomenal wrestler. This tall, man, he eats, sleeps, drinks wrestling. 
At this age, he was beating kids that were like this. I kid you not. His whole basement is a wrestling mat. The walls, the floor. The goal is the Olympics. They travel from Indiana to Oklahoma to Missouri to all over the United States so that he can get national recognition. It's the goal. What's our goal as believers? What's our goal as children of God? Are we willing to run the race that God has for us? So, well, no, Lord, that's a race that's too hard to run. I want to run this race. Shorter course, not as many obstacles, less interference, fewer runners. Lord, this race is better than that race. That's a Boston Marathon. This is a jog around the block. I think I prefer this one. There's a difference in the crowns that can be attained. He talks about two crowns, the corruptible and the incorruptible. The corruptible earth is earthly and it lasts a while. When you think about the Isthmian Games, they were crowned with what one commentary said was the leaves that you'd find sim- similar to the leaves that are on, uh, that are on uh, oh, uh, celery. Like celery leaves. They're made into a nice fluffy crown placed on the head or a wreath that would be placed around the neck. Celery leaves. You see, it wasn't just the celery leaves, though. It was the up in front of everybody. Look at me. Look what I've attained. Look what I got crowned with. But what happens to celery leaves after you leave it out for a few days? Mush. Stink. Ugh. And it's only one by one. One person gets it. But you know what's amazing is you look throughout history. One person may win it this year, but next year all the excitement's on the next person that wins it. And the person that won it before, well, who cares? That's last year's news. Same with playoffs in almost every sport. You might be able to remember them for a year or two, but what about 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, 20 years? Nobody remembers. Shoot, nobody cares. That's old news. The corruptible crown is earthly, lasts a while, and one by one. While the incorruptible is heavenly, it lasts forever. And anyone can win it who is faithful. In 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's heavenly. It lasts for eternity. But Paul did not only encourage everyone to get involved in the race, he also exemplified his message to the Corinthians. Look at our text once again, verse 24. It says, Don't you know that the runners... I'm sorry, verse 23 says, Now I do all this because of the gospel. Paul says, I do this. He's not just saying, you do it. He says, I do it. He not only encourages others to do it, but he says, I'm going to exemplify it. And he says, don't you know the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. 
Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away. But we a crown that will never fade away. Here he says again, Therefore I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. Three times he refers to himself as being in this race. Being in this competition. The decision is made. No longer a spectator, but rather a participant. But Paul doesn't just use the analogy of a racer. He also uses the analogy of a boxer. He says he did not act without purpose. He doesn't just beat the air. He knew where the finish line was. He knew who the opponent was. And we have to know where we're going. You see, the finish line is not a bigger house. The finish line is not a nicer car. The finish line is not a bigger 401k. The finish line is not more friends. The finish line is not the luxuries of life. The finish line is what? Heaven. Eternity in heaven one day with our Heavenly Father. He knew what the finish line was. And he knew who the opponent was. And there's lots of opponents, really. But the problem is never really the problem. The problem is Satan really likes to fight. But he does that through what? He distracts us with all the things that are in this world. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. First John 3 or 2, 15 through 17 says, is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the world is going to what? Fade away. So we can either build up things for this lifetime, which we know will be, as 1 Corinthians says, tried by fire, burned up. Or we can invest for eternity. And there's only two things, as we've said, that will span the, test, the time test of eternity. The souls of man and the word of God. Everything else will be burned up by fire. Where will we choose to invest? He said the decision is made. He knew where the finish line was. He knew who the opponent was. And not only that, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, really in a nutshell says he knew what the rules were. You know, a person, if they're going to race, they have to know what the guidelines are. 2 Timothy 2, 5 says this, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He says, The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. God has given us his book to understand what he wants for us. And I found in life that there's no shortcuts, even though I would love to find some. I would love to just through osmosis say, man, get in there. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Somehow we have to get ourselves in the book and take the time. Somehow we have to spend the time in prayer. And that's hard to do sometimes. Someone said to me not too long ago, that's easy, Pastor. That's just a discipline of life. I don't know about you, but it's not easy for me. I don't know anyone in this room that probably spends four hours a day in prayer. I, I don't know that. And there's no magical four hours, by the way. I'm just saying, I know spending time, a considerable amount of time in prayer is hard to do. And I can remember when our kids were little, and some of you mothers and some of you dads know this, I can remember when they were real little, I used to kind of like go in a bedroom or go in the bathroom and leave the door half open so you could get the light, 
But leave the light off so they wouldn't know you're in there? Yeah, you've done it. Because you want a minute. Because it's hard to get time in. And you just want a minute. And you try to hide. Oh, you found me. Right? Because it's hard. But where's our heart in these things? Let me just say, too, I don't think God's sitting up there going, go ahead, don't take a minute. God's not up there waiting for you to just to blow it. He knows our hearts. But I wonder if our heart is to spend the time that is necessary to win the race. We have to know the rules. That's why God gave us his word. So we might know how to please him in all things. And I'm telling you, one of my favorite people to watch race was for years Lance Armstrong. I used to love watching him race. Uh, before him, Greg LeMond and some of the other racers that went before the Tour de France. used to watch it all the time. And then these last few years, all the cloudy you know, speculation of the cheating and the doping and the, and the drugs and all these things. And, oh, no, 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 not me, not me. For years, adamantly denied it. And then it comes out here just the last couple of weeks. He says, not only am I doing it, he says, take a look out there, 98% of them are doing it. Whether they want to admit it or not, they're all doing it. You don't win on a Tour de France without doping, trust me. They're all doing it. Well, whether they all are or some are is irrelevant to this fact, but if you're going to win the prize honestly, you have to know how to do it without cheating. And the bottom line is God wants us to know him. He wants us to know his word. These things have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin. He's given us the guidelines. The question is whether we want to do it half-heartedly or do it all the way. So he says, I discipline my body. What does that mean? Let me just give you a couple of verses. Romans 8.13, he was willing to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You know what the word mortify means? It means put to death. He says, I'm willing to kill the things in my body that are sinful. I'll put them to death. Wrong thoughts, wrong attitudes. Romans 6.18, he strived for self-control. Paul had no desire of becoming a castaway. That's what he said there in our, in our text, 1 Corinthians um, 9, verse 27. He says, Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Some of you translations may say, a castaway. It literally has the idea of being disqualified. Paul had no desire of becoming a castaway or of no useful value, of no good. And in 2 Corinthians 5.9, he made it his aim to please God in all things. Over and over, we have decisions to make. Every day we wake up and we have to decide how we're going to live. And we're either going to live for the self and our flesh or we're going to live for God. Because there's no real middle ground. Either we're committed or we're not. Either we're sold out or we're selfish. And the bottom line is we're all going to be following someone or something. I'd much rather us follow God than ourselves. And as I look at this passage, he says, run in such a way. What kind of a race are we running? As a church, what kind of a race are we running? So I don't run anymore, right? <laughs> I get that. 
I found out in the last week I am not 25 anymore. I am not. I mean, I realize I'm not 70, but I'm not 25 either. And these all-nighters, yeah, those are for the birds. Um, they're not for me anymore. I remember doing my last all-nighter as a youth pastor and thinking, oh, Lord, please never let me do another all-nighter again. I don't have the energy for this. And there's not enough pay in the universe that's worth it. You know, those days are gone. But see, the, the race for the Lord is a long-term race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we have to run to the end. Scripture is full of people who started out well, but didn't finish well. The one prominent example that stands up in my mind is Asa. Man, the beginning of his life, he was running this race. He, I mean, he's way out there. He's booking. He's torquing. And he's just, I mean, he's just on fire. At the end of his life, he took his focus off God. Starts looking to man. You know what that tells us? No matter how long you're in the race, there's going to be distractions. No matter how long you're in the race, there are going to be things that slow you down. But are you committed to the race? Are you committed to staying in it? One more illustration of this, I close. I know it will shock you, but I've never really been a runner. Turn sideways, I'm still there. Um, I'm, this, this, this guy doesn't run. I had to run, though. I, I like soccer. And growing up in uh, Fridley, Minnesota, we had what we called the scenic route. I hated the scenic route. Um, it started where our church was. We had to go run down behind the church, cross a river, go up through about three or four blocks of uh, neighborhood, and then I cut through Lock Park, come back around through Lock Park, and then we had to run back into the school, to the locker room, change our clothes, or change our, our uh, running shoes, get our cleats, and then run out to the soccer field and run two laps on the soccer field, and I'll meet there then. I hated that thing. That was torture. One of the hills was like this on one side, and it was like this on the other side. So you had to run up one hill and down the other, except for you were running down first and running up later when you were all tired, and it was all, I hated it. I used to dream when I was like in seventh or eighth grade, you know, if I was really smart, I should hide water bottles along the way. I could really make it then. I had too much pride. I wouldn't do it. I had too much pride. Pride, pride got me through a lot of scenic routes because I did not want to be last. I had friends who hid water bottles. I was jealous. But man, I hated those things. I hated them. I used to tell myself, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I hate this, but I can do this. This really stinks. I have to do this. Why? Because I wanted to make the team. I wanted to play soccer. This was just something I had to do to get there. I wonder how often in life we just give up because it's hard. We know what the goal is. We know what we want to do, but I don't want to put out the effort to get there. And I wonder how often we're going to stand before First, First John. He says that we may have confidence at his appearing. I want to stand before the Lord, having the confidence that I did what I was supposed to do. But we won't if we give up the race. We all have choices to make. You're going to stick in the race or you're going to give up. Run in such a way to win. So he says, run in such a way. Don't give up. Don't quit. Run. 
It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a long-distance run. And there are parts of a long-distance run where you slow on this button, but you pick up some speed here, and, and then over here so you, you kind of catch up with somebody, and then you got somebody to run with for a little while, and you, you're re-energized, and it's a race. It's a marathon. And if we run it together, we'll be encouraged and do better. We need to stick together in this race. Amen? Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't get distracted. Run in such a way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that it's true. Lord, I know that as I stand here this morning, Lord, I know that there are many of us who are easily distracted. Lord, there's so many things that vie for our attention, whether it's just time and details and to-do lists and, Lord, even our own energy and our flesh. And, Lord, so many things that can cause us to just give up, to throw in a towel, to quit. But you want us to run in such a way. And I pray, God, that you'd help us be faithful to that area. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just a simple opportunity to respond this morning.